Okay, hello, my name is Cecilia Dahl, and this is the Next Gen Leaders group call, and today my guests are Red and Black, co-authors of the book, What I Learned About Life When My Husband Got Fired. Uh, welcome, Red and Black. Thank you for being our guests today. Well, thanks, thanks very much for having, having us. us. This is Red. This is Black. <laughs> Red and Black. Okay, well, I thought I would start. I, I was mentioning just before the call started how I was, um, you know, I, I heard a past interview with you, and I was immediately compelled to want to know more about your personalities and how this whole story unfolded and, and immediately went and bought your book. And I, I don't have it yet, but I'm excited to hear both of you introduce yourselves and your um, very different personality types and then talk a little bit about this uh, crisis that occurred that brought you together and, um, and uh, helped you both learn a lot of things about, uh, about life. So I don't know which one of you wants to dive in first, but, um, but if you could start with a, a brief introduction and, and get rolling that way, that would be great. Well, this is red. Um, the only fine part I find maybe a little bit challenging of everything you just said was the starting it with a brief introduction. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm known for um, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if you don't believe me, I'll put one of my children on the phone. Um, really what happened is um, I, I'm the younger sister, and as she likes to point out, and she's the older and wiser sister. And I kind of am a, a self-described warm and fuzzy type. And I, if, if we were at a speaking engagement right now, we'd hold up this wonderful family tree that Black put together, and you'll see the two of us. And then underneath myself, you'll see my two beautiful red-headed daughters. And then underneath her, you'll see her two beautiful race cars. <laughs> and that kind of sums us up. Um, I made the decision you know, to be a stay-at-home wife and mother. Uh, I went from living with my parents. Um, granted, had a wonderful university education, which kind of comes back in another part of the story, and then went back and lived with my parents until I got married, and then I traveled the world with my husband. And so I had made that decision, and that was kind of where I am when the, the sort of the story of, of ultimately where our book came from uh, mm -hmm. took place. I will try to keep that brief and turn it over to Black. Um, as she said, I have race cars instead of children. Um, I left home when I was 16 out to conquer the world and never looked back. I had my MBA from NYU and London Business School about the time I was 20, and then I came down to uh, came originally New Orleans and then Houston and worked in the oil and gas industry because I thought I'd pick an industry that never had a downturn. Well, um, I seem to have made a career out of severance packages. Uh, but by the time I was 40, I was able to retire, and at that point I became bored. Um, keep reinventing myself. Um, I started racing cars, and then I started doing um, various investments, etc. And then when my sister's husband got fired, um, I saw a new business opportunity, and that's pretty much where this now the book starts. That's great. Um, the entrepreneur in me says, "Of course, you saw a business opportunity." <laughs> And uh, and and so it goes, and they're definitely very um, very different personalities. And so, what happened, uh, Red, one day? And, and tell us, take us uh, take us through the story and, and how it how it all came down. Well, this is Red's crisis, so I think I'll let her carry on this part of the story. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to switch it back to me, which which makes perfect sense. Um, it was January of 2004, and I mentioned that because you know the economy was great, everything was great. We were living in Houston and, you know, two beautiful children, big, beautiful house. Uh, all that we were missing was the obligatory designer puppy, which, courtesy of Black, who my <laughs> children refer to as Car Car, was on its way up from Australia. So I was living my own personal version of a Disney sitcom. Now, when I say that, it's a little bit unfair to Disney for, because, from what I can tell, Disney sitcoms are far more realistic than the life I was leading. <laughs> and my husband comes home from work one day. It's a rainy Friday afternoon, and I'm in the kitchen. I'm cooking dinner. And, you know, I'd like to say that I'm exaggerating, but the reality of it is we really did have conversations that went along the lines of, you know, honey, I'm home. And I'd be like, oh, great, I'm in the kitchen cooking dinner. And, you know, he'd come in, and he would, you know, kind of like lift the, the pot and sniff what was for dinner and go, oh, this is wonderful, and all along telling me how he conquered the business world yet again. And on this particular Friday, I'm holding to my side of the script, telling him what's for dinner. But unfortunately, he deviated from his side of the script and proceeded to tell me, oh, by the way, I was fired today. 
okay. I just, I mean, I just go into a state of shock. And, you know, but I don't say anything, really don't do anything, you know, get dinner on the table, feed the kids, get the kids to bed, feed the husband, get the husband to bed. And then I do what any self-respecting 40-plus-year-old woman does, and I email my sister because <laughs> I don't even have the guts to call her with this news. I mean, I'm panicked, I'm mortified, I don't know what to do, but all I do know is that I'm going to, you know, turn to my MBA older sister who's just going to tell me what to do. And because I was a straight-A student, I'll listen to directions, I will do it well, and hopefully by Monday, you know, my world, which is falling apart, will be put back together again. Right. And that's kind of where it started. Um, what I got from my sister was very different than what I was expecting to get. Mm. Well, I, I, I get a hold of her the next day, and, the, and it started with this email that said something terrible happens, and that's all she said. So uh-huh. I'm thinking something really terrible, like somebody's sick, something that cannot be remedied. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally get her on the phone, um, she says, well, Nick got fired. And I'm like, okay, so, and, and I, I was rather nonplus about it because, as I had mentioned, I'd made a career out of severance packages. Well, at that right. point I started to ask her, well, how much money do you have? She goes, I don't know. I said, well, is there a severance package? I don't know. How much money do you need every month to get through? I don't know. Is there savings? I don't know. Is there a retirement account? I don't know. I don't know any of these things. Things are terrible. And I went, well, if you don't know any of these things, how do you know things are terrible? She's right. like, well, I don't, I don't know. They just are. And I'm thinking, great. Her theater degree is finally being used because she's getting <laughs> overly theatrical. And so when I eventually ask her, okay, do you have any financial statements? The woman freaks out. And she's, she tells me, there's no way I can do this. I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm a theater major. You're the MBA, and this is going on and on and on. And so I said, okay, you know, I'll give you until Monday. Have your little pity party, and we'll start working on things Monday, and we'll get things in order. Mm-hmm. And we'll figure this out. Do it step by step. M- Monday comes, and I said, okay, we're going to start with financial statements. And she again starts tuning me out. Now I think I'm going to make it easier. I said, okay, let's back up. Let's talk about assets and liabilities. I then get another lecture about how she's a theater major. (laughs) And I said, okay, let's try this one other way. Let's talk about what you own and what you owe. And she Mm -hmm. said, I can do that. I just can't do assets and liabilities. Now being the sister, I mean, I'm not overly understanding and so I just basically said they're the same thing you know with exasperation in my voice (laughs) and she got very quiet but at that point it made me realize that she was fighting me before we even started because she had preconceived notions that she couldn't do finance and Mm -hmm. she was telling me she wasn't good at math and I said you can add and subtract I mean this is not you know some kind of statistical equation here Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I realized, okay, this is a mindset with her, and she just had never been exposed to any of these things before. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me because, you know, in the in the climate that we're in today, and I know that this all happened before um, the economic downturn that, that we find ourselves in today before we really were in it. And um, today, I think, you know, this kind of thing, can happen to anyone. And I think it is really interesting the number of people that I run into on a daily basis who are in that same boat and uh, and don't have a plan and don't understand and don't know um, and, and really don't know where to start. So I'm really curious to um, to hear from you. How did you get back up out of this? How did it all, what did you, what, what, how did you approach this with someone who just didn't uh, didn't understand it and didn't have a plan because anybody, anybody on this call, anybody today in our world could find themselves in that very same position quite easily. Well, it, it's funny that you say that because I had this MBA in international finance and I actually got myself in debt over my head within a few years of graduating business school. So I can't even say it was due to student loans. Mm-hmm. And it was because I never took the lessons about corporate finance and apply it to my my personal finance. And so I made the same mistakes as a lot of people do. I just made them really big, really early, 
and get them out of the way and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up doing with her is it, it's very when you get the book you'll see, but I very systematically I said, okay, we're going to start with figuring out what you currently own and what you owe, so we know what we're working with. And I, I talked her through how you know where to look, how to basically put these numbers together, and by doing it that way and not using you know terminology, just okay, let's look at bank statements. You know, checking accounts. What what is where? Mm-hmm. And then taking a look at where you own owe money. And we just did it very systematically. And then it was like, okay, let's take a look at where you spend money. I mean, a cash flow statement, which a company uses. I mean, I told her it's just money in, money out. That's you know not a really complicated concept. Let's mm-hmm. see what money you have coming in, and let's see what money you currently have going out. And where there's any flexibility on what you really have to spend. Right. And so you start looking at it that way. Now, over the course of, of doing this, I mean, the financial lessons got interrupted by things like, you know, stress and, and time management and other other um, topics. But it was very logical. I mean, you took a look at things as they come. I mean, obviously, at some point we sat down and, you know, she had a look at her credit cards. I said, initially, let's just look at what you owe. We have to get a picture of where you are, a snapshot of where you are today, and then we'll figure out what we do next. And Mm -hmm. so you can do it. What she likes is this analogy I use. If you can eat an elephant, you just can't do it all at once. So we just broke it down into logical pieces. Right. And then, of course, I'm I'm in a crisis situation, so I I really didn't have any choice, you know. And I think that's a that's part of it also. Um, I think if Black had come to me, not that she would have necessarily, but at some point a year prior, I mean, I wouldn't have probably sat down and done all this, you know. Oh, I can do that tomorrow. I can't do it. But of course, you know, as the title of the book, what I learned about life when my husband got fired suggests. I mean, there was this huge catalyst, you know, an event that occurred, and I really had no choice at that at that point. Mhm. Yeah. It's interesting how you mentioned black that it parallels, you know, business and personal life. Um looking at, you know, I, I have a company that, that started in 2003 and at at one point um in our early history, we completely ran out of money. Um and what was interesting for me is that I was, you know, I was thinking to myself, how could this happen? Well, we we needed to raise money and we failed to raise it and if we ran out, how are we going to keep the company going? And diving in, it's such a painful experience to go in and cut and dive in and dig deep. And yet when you come out of it, you just feel like, wow, I am so much better. And not only am I better, but my business is better. And I'm thinking, you know, Red, did you have the feeling when you came all out of this that somehow your life was better now that you went through this? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I don't know how many times I think that on, on so many levels. And it, and it really, this experience and what this did is it all comes down to something Black's very fond of saying, but it's so true. And it's this idea of, you know, you, you have two choices in life. You can control your life or your life can control you. Well, up to the point that my husband comes home and tells me he's fired, I mean, things were controlling me because I never thought about things. Other people were doing it. You know, once this event happened and Black took me through things, and we can touch and talk about lots of these things, but the bottom line was absolutely. All of a sudden, I may not be doing it perfectly. I may not be doing it as well as I'd like to be doing it, but you, I'm more in control. I'm making the decisions, and that's just it. I'm making the decisions. I'm thinking about things, whereas before, no, exactly, you're, you're not doing things. Things are just happening, and it is, it's, and it's, it's a great, great feeling. Mm. So this went on for three months. And what kind of... What kind of um sacrifices did you have to make? I mean, I guess my my one question that's kind of lingering is, was your husband also oblivious to all of this? Well, many people kind of wonder that same question, like, where was your husband during all of this? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's a very logical question. He had worked for the same company for 20-some-odd years. And so when he was fired, I mean, it was just a huge shock. And at the same time, he had known, you know, Black. Um, they had been at business school for a while together. He had actually turned to her on some financial matters over the years. 
And, you know, he knew that, that we were obviously, you know, we were, we were talking, communicating, email. I mean, he knew I was in touch with her. You know, I didn't go from all of a sudden making, you know, roast chicken gourmet dinners to, okay, I know what assets and liabilities are, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so it, it wasn't a PS on a recipe I was using one night. So, I mean, he knew that I had turned to her and she was help, helping to guide me through this. And I think he was actually quite relieved because he, he really was in a state of shock. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, so I'm I'm interested to hear more about um, about the um, financial planning um, tools that you were given during this time because I think it's something that um, that many of us can, should probably listen to and and learn from and take with us from this conversation. Well, I'm kind of sitting here laughing. I'm, I'm not sure the story I'm about to tell you and kind of the lesson I learned is is technically <laughs> a financial planning tool, but I would argue it's probably the single most important financial aspect, um, which actually um, extends also to time management, that I learned. Um, and I will tell you right now, this is not exactly brain surgery, nor do you need an MBA. And, and let me just kind of tell you how it all started. It was less than a week or just about a week or so into this, and I'm watching my elder daughter um, have a swim lesson. We're in Houston, and the house we were in at the time had a swimming pool. And she was about, oh, I suppose four or so at the time, four and a half, and I'm on the phone with Black, and she's having her swimming lesson. And I'm, this is really, again, where the theater major kicks in, because I am just creating all these different elaborate scenarios and stories that I am going to tell the swimming teacher, because I intend to cancel these lessons. Because at this point, I don't know what we own. I don't know what we owe. And I'm just cutting back on everything. I'm not wanting to spend a penny. And mm-hmm. I get to the end of all this, and I'm like, okay, so which one do you think? Which is the best story? And this is probably the first and only time that Black ever told me what to do. And she said, well, you're going to do nothing. You're not going to cancel the swim lessons. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And she proceeds to tell me how, you know, it's important to keep Natasha's, you know, lifestyle, her life and her routine as much as in order. You know, and then she tells me how, you know, the swimming lessons, you know, the dollar amount is not going to make or break me at this point. And finally, how it's a safety issue. You're in Houston. You have a child. There's a swimming pool in the backyard. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, you know, great. This is exactly what I want. I want you to tell me what to do. But at the same time, I'm like, but how am I ever supposed to figure this out on my own? And I proceed, again, theater degree kicking in, and I start to say, well, how do I know what's the difference? You know, how do I know smart spending from stupid spending? How am I supposed to know the difference? And she kind of pauses, and then she says, well, have you ever thought about thinking before spending? I cannot get her off the phone quick enough because I'm like, oh, great, just what I need, another one of black sarcastic remarks. <laughs> and, I, and I just, I'm like, I got to go, you know, and I hang up the phone and I'm just huffing and puffing and I'm just, you know, smoke is coming out of my ears. And I'm walking around my house and as I'm walking around my house, I'm seeing all our stuff. And it's beginning to dawn on me very quickly that for years and years, all we did was spend and we didn't really do any thinking. And so mm-hmm. I realized it wasn't a sarcastic remark at all, but this idea of thinking before spending is something we had never done. Oh, here's a credit card. Yeah, we need it. Yeah, we want it. Same thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And just that very simple concept of thinking before you spend made such a huge difference then, and it makes such a huge difference even today. Mm-hmm. You're and, right. I mean, and that, that whole concept applies whether it's your personal life or in, the, in your business life. I'm sure when you started going through your expenses, and you were looking at, okay, where do we cut back, you found things that you really never needed in the first place, mm-hmm. that you just spend because you think you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, in personal and, I mean, personally in a different way perhaps, but in business I know when you look at spending money in business, especially, you know, in my business, because we've never been flush with cash, we never raised a lot of venture capital, but we always said, for everything that we spend, there has to be a meaningful return. And so I wonder, taking that to a personal level as well, you know, what is meaningful? I guess it varies by, you know, person by person. But to actually stop and think, this money could be spent on this, which would get me this, or I could spend it over here, which would get me this. And weighing those two, you know, that's a business lesson and a, and a life lesson. Um, I'm one of, I'm I'm definitely guilty of, um, the oh that's really neat I think I'll have that I'll buy that and then I ha- end up with stuff that I don't really need <laughs> you know um, I think we're I'm, all guilty of that 
Yeah, it, I'm a person who can think a little more. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a function of, of of what how much needless stuff you can afford to have versus what you may want to do in the future and you rather have the money for something else in the future versus today. And that gets back to what your values and priorities are. And that was, I think, what permeated um, the book in her three months more so than anything else was I never told her what to do as much as she tried to get me to on any given topic. It was, you know, whether it be money, whether it be time, they're limited resources. You need to figure out what's most important to you and Mm -hmm. allocate your resources to that. Mm-hmm. And so was, it got her to really focus on what was important to her and prioritizing her life. And the rest of the decisions then kind of fell into place. Mm-hmm. That was a really um, a gift as a sister, I think. I mean, an incredible thing for you to guide her through this. I actually, it made, you just made me think of something that someone once gave me this advice. Never give up uh, what you really want for what you want right now um, as a as a rule of thumb. Um, you know, doing that spur of the moment thing. And I use that sometimes as a tool um, when I'm deciding whether to spend or or not to spend. Um, and so three months, three months as all of this goes on and now you're deciding, um, you're deciding, you know, when to spend and how to spend. And um, does eventually, eventually um, things get better? Do they get better after three months? Or is this a long-term life adjustment for you in terms of, um, of you know, tightening your belts no, I think it's something that, that the the three months was kind of a, a crash course, if you would. And then yes. it's just something you carry with you and you and you and at least I try to apply, you know, to to every day and, and to my life. As as Black said, it, it wasn't and this is kinda of reflected in the book, it wasn't so much that she said, Okay, to do these ten things, you know, right. and all will be good and that's it. It's like she I kinda of had to change my mindset, my perspective on on how I looked at, at money and how I and how I spent money, and it, it goes back to I had to start to think about things, and this applied to my time as well as money. You know how I was spending my time. I had to start to think about things, and it's just and once you start to do that, it's not like okay, it's it's a it's ticked off the to do list. I mean, it's something that just has is now part of my life. It's part of my decision making. It goes into things, and it's 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 things that I am also now trying to pass on to my two daughters. So that hopefully, you know, they will understand things far better than I did. So I love the story about um, your daughters when you went shopping, and then you were going to stop at their favorite store. Could you tell that story? Because I think that's a, that's a great story of um, of how this uh, how you set a great example for them, and it showed in in their behavior. No, it, it's absolutely true because you know, with with my daughters, you know, and I'm kind of like turning to Mandy and you know, in in, in black, I should say. Um, and how do you do this? And she's like, you know, well, it's monkey see, monkey do. It's 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 teaching them as you go along. And so yes, I mean, we, we're in a store, and I just and it was it was Target actually. And the story is on the website, you know, because Black believes you don't have to buy the book; just go onto the website, you know, and kind of. I read hate the when I hate when authors do that. Oh, to read this story, you have to buy the book. I'm like, no, if you're going to mention it, you need to post it on the website. <laughs> you know, because of course, well, anybody who goes into Target, particularly with kids, I mean, I want this, I want that, I want this, you know, and and so they're just bombarding me, and so I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna call Black because they just absolutely idolize their their aunt. And so I explained, you know, oh, I'm in Target with Natasha and Sawyer, and they're seeing all these things and toys, and a, I think it was a Barbie, you know, and, and she's like, well, explain to them the concept, essentially, you know, of of a budget. And, and I'm like, oh, a budget, that's a big girl word. I'm not sure they'll understand <laughs> this. And then, of course, you know, Black has to say, yeah, you didn't understand it until like about a month ago. You know? <laughs> I was like, tell them that, tell them that, and she wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> So I kind of kind of used her as a foil, but you know, but you know, these concepts are so they're not difficult. Kids can understand it. I mean, my two daughters understand the difference between want and need probably better than most adults do. Um, my my youngest, you know, decides she wanted, and this kind of goes into this idea of you know, do you spend today and there's something you may want tomorrow. I mean, she was desperate for an eye touch, and once I you know, kind of researched it and realized, okay, it's it's acceptable, she can have it, you know, it's all that fine, but it's like at the same time, it's like, I'm not buying that for you. And she's like, well, no, I'll do it. And she saved up for it. 
And there were so many things. She was like, no, I'm not going to use that $5. You know, I'm, no, I'm not going to buy candy. No, I'm not going to buy this little item. I am saving for an eye touch. I am giving up today because I want something, you know, tomorrow, the next day, the next month. And, you know, time went forward and there was came the day and it was on sale and she had enough money for it. And I wish I brought my camera into Walmart the day she bought it. She is nine, nine years old. And she goes into the, you know, electronics department with her little you know, holder with all her money, Ziploc bags, dividing up the quarters from the dimes from the nickels and the dollar bills. And she buy, says, I want that eye touch, and it's on sale, and I have the money here. And at this point, like, people are gathering around, and she's just dividing it all out. And she's like, and I'm paying cash. I'm not putting it on a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it was like, I think they, they all but gave her a round of applause. And I'm like, okay, she's nine, and she gets it. Can you imagine, you know, well, certainly for me, I won't speak for anybody else on the face of the earth, but, I mean, if I had gotten that concept when I was nine, I mean, there probably wouldn't be a book today. So, Yeah, yeah, so I guess something good came out of that. But I do I do think it's really interesting, you know, it mentioned in the other interview that this kind of thing doesn't get taught in school. Um, and, you know, kids kids growing up today, and what's interesting is that these basic concepts that don't get taught, that don't really get taught. I never learned about, you know, making a personal budget in school. I guess, and I, I don't see my nephews. I don't have kids myself. Black. I'm a I'm a golden retriever person rather than a race car person. But I do have nephews, and um, they're not learning this kind of thing. And uh, it is interesting because these basic concepts go into personal lives and also business. Um, if you're, you know, thinking of starting your own business or becoming a manager of a business, you have to learn how to apply all of these uh, concepts. Exactly. And um, what happened was when I realized that at first I thought red was the anomaly because I thought, okay, she went from living with my parents to living with her husband, so she just had been sheltered and she didn't have to make any of these decisions on her own. But then it dawned on me, well, I never was really taught personal finance either because I made all those mistakes early in my career. Mm-hmm. And as we after the book was was published, we were doing speaking engagements and it's actually come out in speaking engagements um we might be talking to a group of of corporate uh women and they they're very good at their area of expertise, but so many of them you know said, "Well, I never really thought about this either." You know, they either have a CFO in the company that takes care of it or, you know, their spouse takes care of it. And so it dawned on me that my sister was not the anomaly because it's not taught in schools. And if your parents either don't know or don't teach you, how are you supposed to learn? The only way to learn is through mistakes, which is a very expensive way to learn these lessons. Or to have a crisis, force your hand. Right. And it was actually at our first speaking engagement that somebody made the comment um, during Q&A, why isn't this taught in schools? And my reply um, was, how the hell would I know? Do I look like a teacher? You know, it just, that was how I felt. And and that actually led to um, us being introduced to KIPP, um, the organizer of that breakfast. Her husband was a founding music teacher for KIPP. I don't know if you're familiar with KIPP. Um, 90, there, there's now like 109 schools across the nation, but the first school was here in Houston and the first high school is here in Houston. And over 90% of the students are on either free or subsidized lunch, so very low income, and yet over 90% of them go on to college. And wow. And so they, they prove that demographics don't determine destiny. And so they tend to think outside the box, and so they heard about um, – our book, and we ended up meeting with them. Now, Red loves to tell the story, um, but we were in their office, and we were talking about how basic the lessons were, and we thought, okay, this is either going to be one of those common courtesy-type meetings where they're like, okay, we heard about these two women, this book, fine. We'll meet with them, or possibly they'd have us do a dog and pony show like in the auditorium. And about 30 minutes into the meeting, he turned around and pulled out schedules of A days and B days, telling us he had 90-plus students in the senior class. Um, the semester list is 16 weeks long, but we'd only have to teach 12 weeks, and can we put together a personal financial <laughs> literacy program? Now, wow. my reply to most things is, sure, not a problem. So that's what I said, and then I looked at my sister, and she looked like a deer in headlights. 
because <laughs> our book is all instant messages, emails, and conversation, and she likes to say we're stenographers, not authors. And so she doesn't even think of herself as an author. Now I've just volunteered to turn us into teachers. And <laughs> I did what, you know, I, I walk out of the office and I realize, oh, seniors, I was never a senior. I skipped that year. Um, no, I went to no. college instead. So I did what I do in a corporate environment. I asked for a task force of students. I'll just get a focus group. I can do this. And, um, you know, my sister's still in panic, and I'm, I don't understand what the big deal is because it's October. We don't start teaching until January, so I'm thinking I have plenty of time to figure out how to do lesson plans. And we had eight students um, who we fondly call our guinea pigs, and we gave them excerpts of the book to read. They were going to learn what a working lunch was. First day, uh, first week we met with them, we gave them copies of the book, said, we want you, we'll give you excerpts, just tell us what you think are relevant topics you and your peers would want in the curriculum and that's all we're going to do is identify topics luckily red was a straight a student takes copious notes that following week she could not write fast enough mm. they were coming up with subjects and stories and at one point we red and i look at each other and we realize they're not from the reading assignment and it turned out two of the kids had read the entire book Wow. And the others had already read ahead, and it was their recommendation at the end of this five-week task force for us to use the book as the, the textbook for the course. And that's actually how our book started its journey into the school system, and it's since been approved by the state as meeting 100% of their mandated financial literacy requirements. So you consider a book with the title, What I Learned About Life When My Husband Got Fired. It's not your typical textbook. Right, and yet it's being used in the school system to teach personal financial uh, planning skills. That's great. Great story. I actually, I have to laugh because when you were mentioning, you know, you and I, so I volunteered us for this job and that. The story of how this book actually got started and how you were taking notes, I, just for the sake of, of the people on the call being able to hear it, because it's, it, to me it was such a classic thing to listen to. How okay, this, I'll, this is I'm going to tell this story. Because um, yeah. I still sometimes shake my head in disbelief. Um, <laughs> it is less than a month into my crisis, and you can't tell, but even now, years later, I'm sure she is sitting in her apartment rolling her eyes because she hates when I use this crisis because she's like, it wasn't a crisis. He got fired. Anyway, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm still panicking. I'm still, still trying to sort things out. You know, I'm freaking out at every opportunity. And at one point, I kind of look over at her, and I see she's taking notes. And I get really pissed off because, um, you know, the world is still revolving around me, and I should have her total focus. So I'm just like, what are you taking notes on? You know, why aren't you paying attention to me doing that kind of thing? And she just kind of looks at me and goes, you know, I'm taking notes. And she proceeds to tell me how she thinks this is all going to make a great book one day. So I'm like, excuse me, um, I'm having the crisis of my life, and you have a new business venture? <laughs> And, and I'm expecting, oh, no, 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 no. And instead I get, well, yes, I can multitask. <laughs> I, I really didn't see what our problem was. It was like I'm still helping you, aren't I? So, I mean, get over it. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, she had started saving our emails and our IMs. And, I, you know, around that time I did kind of notice that she was starting to IM me more than normal. But I was just like, oh, okay, cool. She's showing me how to IM and we're IMing. I don't think anything about that, you know. <laughs> But she obviously had already decided that, no, we can't have a book that's all email, so I'm going to start IMing her. You know? Well, what, what somebody did was I, I learned that you can set your computer so that when you use instant message, it saves them. And so I thought, this is great because it will be like a transcript. I won't have to write any notes anymore. I'll just do this back and forth. And so that's, that's you know, and it dawned on her later that that was part of the reason why all of a sudden I was using IMs because we could have this conversation and I didn't have to take notes. Or um, she still wants to know whether or not I taped our conversations, and to this day I've never answered that question. <laughs> That's wonderful. And so the format of the book is when red is talking or writing, the, the font is in red, and when black is responding, the font is in black. Well, it's got icons instead of fonts, but yes, oh. the same concept. Yeah, we we tried that red thing, and and red, I see. It, uh, red fonts are very hard to read. Um, it's you don't have enough contrast like you do. So we've got 
We've actually got little symbols in there. So if we're on the phone, you can it's a red phone and a black phone or a red <laughs> cell phone and a black cell phone. or So you can tell. Um, but people have told us that at, pretty much after, like, the first chapter, they don't even have to look at the icon. They can tell. If it's a really long segment, they know it's red. <laughs> if it's kind of like bullet points, they know it's me. <laughs> And, and then, like the kids, you know, at Kip, and we, you know, have, you know, they're like, this is like a reality show in a book, you know, and and you know, and then other people have been like, well, no, this is like reading a script for like a TV sitcom or something. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's appropriate because when she decided this was a new business venture, you know, it, it, as she explained it to me later, I mean, it wasn't that oh, we're going to write this book and it's going to become a personal financial literacy textbook. I right. mean, and she can talk to the about this much better than I can, but it, no, it was this idea of a brand called Red and Black, and she already wow. had the idea for a sitcom and movies and all this in, all these entertainment applications. So people have actually said the book reads like a script, and I'm like, well, that's because that's the way Black wanted it to, you know. Well, and that, that was the whole logic. First of all, it was it was the easiest way to do it because I'd already had most of the material, but. Um, Let's see. Nick got fired in January. March, I had gone out to to, El, to California, actually, and talked to somebody about this idea for a sitcom. Because once I decided we were going to do a book, I started researching the entertainment industry, because that's what I do. You research things. You do your homework before you make a decision to go forward on a business. You understand the competition. You understand the market, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that there was a huge market for entertainment applications targeted at baby boomer women. And since Red and I are both baby boomer women, I said, great, and I kept doing my homework and research on it. And when I started looking at sitcoms, all successful sitcoms were relationship-based, going all the way back to I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Seinfeld, you look at Friends. I mean, even that girl, depending on how old you are, if you remember her, you know, Marlo Thomas. And yep. so I, I put together this whole marketing strategy and concept overview that included lot. Uh, an assortment, the sitcom, other, you know, various movies my attorneys have, have told me to emphasize. They're all fictional characters. Um, and so there were movies, there were other books, and everything kind of had this red and black brand, and everything was on the surface entertaining. And if you looked beneath the surface, there was something of value, whether it talked about values and priorities, um, there's a movie script about prejudice, etc. And so I met with people both in L, uh, L.A. and New York, and what the general consensus was, this whole concept for red and black was viable. I needed to proceed, and I needed to either start with the pilot for the sitcom or the book. So I decided that um, the barriers to entry were easier to get over on the book front than they were the sitcom. Yeah. So I proceeded to go down the road of, of the book, I decided also that I was going to have to self-publish because without making this a publishing um, session, if you go with a traditional publisher, unless you're already a very established um, author, you give up control over the product. Mm -hmm. Since I knew I was building a brand, I couldn't do that. And so I had to self-publish. Well, self-publishing gets you no respect. It's the Henny Youngman of the entertainment world. So then I needed something to give us credibility. So then I managed to get Neiman Marcus to do our launch, oh. so, which is a whole business case study there. And so Neiman Marcus launched us in August in, of '09, and my whole plan was, okay, now I have a Neiman Marcus launch. They did a window, in fact, that had mannequins that looked like Red and I. They took our picture in the window, us standing next to our respective mannequins. Of course, I sent it out to everybody going, check out the dummies in the window. And and I thought, great, now I can proceed with the rest of the entertainment applications because I have this book which establishes the platform. And I intentionally used conversation because I knew that we were building who the characters, who is red, who is black. Right. So I used that format knowing that or thinking that the next step was going to be working on the other entertainment applications. And so... Neiman's does the launch. I'm thinking next step. I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to go to L.A. or New York next. We do the speaking engagement, the, you know, in, in September, and then in October we're talking to the schools. And so, what it did was, and this is kind of the business lesson, but it applies to life. Is my long-term goal was to build the red and black brand, and it's still viable. I'm just, you know, you hit detours, you hit 
other options. Sometimes you hit roadblocks, and I looked at it as okay, this is a you know this is something we need to do because we have the opportunity to help kids, and yeah. so it doesn't it doesn't derail me. It's just a different way to get where I want to go. Right. Very interesting, and it's. So the media plans, the, the the film and TV are on hold while you're working with the kids, or are they still in the works? Can we be expecting a red and black sitcom? Well, the kids well, all want to know where the sitcom is, but there's a limited okay. amount of hours in the day. So <laughs> just like anything else, you have to prioritize. And when it's a, a choice of working on a sitcom or you know doing career day uh, speeches at middle schools, it becomes real obvious to me we need to go to the middle school. Well, it sounds um, like great work. It sounds like great work. But if anybody knows a producer at a sitcom, that'd be good too. (laughs) Yeah, my entertainment attorney would be thrilled because I told him to lock all these ideas up in the bottom drawer, and and so he sees all his billable hours locked in that bottom drawer. Of course, yeah. Well, you never know. You never know. This is a very interesting network uh, that we have in the world today and network ability, but I do think you're doing excellent work, and I think it's it's an amazing story. And, you know, I know, um, you know, the... the, uh, the lesson you know that you learned about uh, read about thinking before you spend is, is an invaluable one. And Black, I'm curious to hear how did all of this impact you looking back? Um, not just that you now have a red and black brand and a new business and all of that, but um, I, I noticed in the other call you mentioned there was something that you that you realized. Um, well, what what it made me realize um, is how empowering knowledge is. Mm-hmm. I watched. The and the, at the risk of sounding warm and funny, I, I watched the transition in Red from being this woman who thought she couldn't do these things to realizing she just had never done them, but yes, she can. And the more she started to do to get you know make decisions and learn about whatever the topic was, she realized this isn't none of this is rocket science. There's not a single thing that we talk about in the classroom or in the book that she likes to call them all duh moments. Um, but it was realizing that we all have the power to ask questions and get information, and then we can make an intelligent, conscious decision. And it was watching her take control of her life. And we're getting feedback from um, various people who are saying that they're branching out and doing things they never thought they could do, because it makes them realize, okay, this is a 40-year-old woman who thought she couldn't do this, and now it's kind of like, you know, it's just second nature. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of just realizing that we do have the power to take control of our own lives. We just sometimes don't do it. But doing nothing is is a decision. It's it's accepting the status quo. You know, it's interesting, and and I think that that learning from you, you know, as a piece of advice to – the women in the next generation leaders group, these the women who are in this group and, and listening to this call are, you know, on career paths that would take them to senior executive positions at, at some point. And you know, it, and I think just taking that and expanding on it and saying, you know, there are things that you might try to avoid or fear in business or in your personal life because you don't fully understand them. And when you start to learn and understand things, they become much more familiar. And you know, I, I think just seeking knowledge as a as a as an individual, as a as a you know mother or a sister or an executive or a business person throughout your entire career just oh. continues to open doors and help you pave that road forward. Because once you learn about something, there is nothing to be afraid of. Now you can control your decisions around it. Sometimes the results will be good, and sometimes they won't be bad. But at least you'll have you'll have prepared and you'll have made an informed decision about which way to go, um, and and that's always the best route. Uh, one of the things I did in, in corporate life, I was very fortunate. I tend to, tended to always be in um, more senior positions, but never – I tried to avoid being in charge of entire departments. Unfortunately, sometimes I had to do it. But I was almost like an in-house consultant, and I would liaison between the finance department and the investor relations group and the operating people and the oil and gas and the exploration guys and the production guys. But what it let me do was it let me see how all the pieces work together or in theory should work together. Mm -hmm. And so even though I wasn't in the exploration department, understanding what they do helped me do my job better. 
What I also found is when I went and met with somebody from another department said, I just want to better understand what you do and how it possibly could impact me or other people I work with, what it did was it it made me a more valuable employee because I understood more of the pieces of the pie. But And the other departments were always thrilled that somebody was interested. Mm-hmm. And they never felt threatened because it wasn't like all of a sudden I want to be in charge of drilling wells. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a drilling engineer. But the fact that you show an interest, it is amazing what they will do to help you. It is, and this and was in the good old boy system. So just imagine what it is in a normal, you know, working. Yeah, environment. I think about that in the oil industry. You, as a woman, must have been such a minority. And it's amazing that you know there are so many personality types and, and people in business that. Um, you know, I talk to, in, in my own company, I have a 35-person company, which is small, and we had an engineer, and we, we had hired some new people, and we tried to do buddy lunches, and he said, please don't make me be a buddy lunch with anybody who sits upstairs. I don't even understand what they do upstairs. You know, and for me, I was thinking, whoa, in a 35-person company, there shouldn't be anybody that doesn't understand what anybody else is doing, and as soon as we started incorporating communication and learning and cross-training, I think it just opened the gate for the business. Um, never mind the people who worked in the business, and I think that definitely applies to business, but also to personal lives. It's been, this this book that you've created here, it's it's incredible because it's, a, it's an interesting story about relationships and your relationships and two very different people, but a lot of the lessons can be applied to so many aspects of, of a person's life. Um, Really, I, I'm really intrigued. I actually can't wait to talk about it. This is if I've read it, but I just listened to the interviews. It is. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to hearing more from you both, and to to reading your book and to following your story as it continues. Because I have a feeling there are bigger things ahead. Well, I'm always fond when when towards the end of speaking engagements, you know, we'll have like Q and A sessions, and inevitably somebody will say, "Well, what's next?" And right around that time, I kind of go kind of say, that's a great question. I kind of pluck myself in the audience and I look up at Black and I'm like, so what is next? <laughs> yeah, Black has the plan, right? What is next, Black? <laughs> this is probably the first time in my life, um, corporate or otherwise, that I am in actually a reactive mode versus a proactive mode. And it's because we are following where the book is taking us. I never realized the need for this material, and so we're letting the book kind of lead the way. I mean, something as as unexpected, if you think the education world was unexpected, I mean, we've been asked, and we're going to be the first speakers um, in the four-year history of a conference, I'll tell you what the conference is in a second, um, to talk about personal finance and and life 101 issues, and it's um, the National Conference for Prison prison families, and they've always focused on um, advocacy and social programs and the ministries and all these other people that try and help the families, and they're almost embarrassed when they said, we've never had anybody address the personal finance side. Mm. And so there, every time, every, it seems every place we turn around, there's somebody else who says, oh, we really could use that book, that program. And so now we're we're actually letting um we're just following where the book is naturally going. And, and now you've written a second book, right? Which is a which is a companion guide to the first or is it a Yeah, it's it's um we call it the book club approach because the the book um we use it as a book club approach. You don't have to be a financial expert. In fact it, the book actually works better. Um but we've been approached by um, not only teachers, but churches and synagogues and families who wanted some ideas of questions and, and conversation and philosophical questions, as well as um, teachers like to have all the materials that the state mandates all in one place. So we've included that in there also. But also the red and black story is in there. And we're, we've been told that um, some some individuals, as well as some some other organizations, are taking the section which is called um, the red and black story and how we built the company and a lot of the business decisions we made, um, like why we're not on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, why we printed in the United States even though it doubled our cost, 
and are taking our story and using it in entrepreneurial classes. So who 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 would have ever imagined that, you know, when I'm standing in the Neiman Marcus window? <laughs> it's a wonderful story. So we have just a few minutes left, and um, I know we have a lot of the next-gen members who obviously download and listen to these recordings later, but we do have some on the phone. I've just um, wanted to leave a little extra time in case there were any questions or final comments on your part um, for the the um, the group. Did, does anybody have any questions for Red and Black or comments on the interview? It sounds like um, sounds like there aren't any questions, but it was a great story. I'm sure uh, we'll hear lots of comments about it after in the in the chat on the on the site. Do you have any uh, parting words for our up and coming um, next generation of of leaders? I'll probably let Black go first because I I kind of think of myself as as more of a, a cookie baking carpool line mom. So I'm going to let <laughs> Black go first because I I suspect she probably has far greater words of wisdom for, for business women than I have. <laughs> I guess follow your passion. Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you truly believe in what you're doing versus just going to work, everything else seems to, to, to find its place and you keep your focus. And I think it's a matter of finding what you, what you feel passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great advice. That's great advice. And Red, we take advice from, um, you know, authors of uh, wonderful books who are also moms. <laughs> well, no, the, the only thing that I <laughs> that I was going to say was, and we we definitely have touched upon it in this interview, is much as I just was so convinced I couldn't do finance, I didn't have the MBA. You know, I can I can see, I can tell, just listening to the conversation that you're having with Black, where. You know, women in a corporate environment could be, you know, intimidated or think, well, I can't understand that. That's not my area of expertise. But, I mean, but I learned so much by just saying, you know what, pause, stop. I can learn about this because it is kind of like Black said very early on, you know, eating an elephant one bite at a time, take it a little piece at a time. And you can learn things, and once you learn things, it, it's, it's liberating. It really is empowering when you have that knowledge and, and just what it widens and what it makes you realize you can do. And I think, I suspect, I think that does apply whether you're in a corporate environment or whether, you know, you're a mom at home and you're trying to make decisions, but it's that idea of, you know, don't be intimidated by things, whether it's terminology or you didn't study it. You know, you you can do these things. Just allow yourself to do these things, and through that, it allows you to take control of so many more aspects of your life. That is great advice, Red, great advice. And and both of you, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We're going to post this interview for the Next Gen Leaders Group to download and listen to and comment on and share. And I am looking forward to following your story um, to wherever the book takes you and very much appreciate your time this evening. Thank you both. Oh, oh no, thank, thank you, you very much. much. Okay, bye-bye now. Okay, bye-bye. bye.